Wow, if that doesn't get you prepared for a message, I don't know what does. This is just amazing. Um, we have the privilege of having a missionary here, Jeremy Clark and his wife, Bonnie, and there's seven kids, 14 on down to three. Am I right? Okay. Uh, they are segueing from having been in the ministry of uh, Creative Access Nations. Of course, those are nations that cannot be verbalized here as far as where they are. I understand from just my little homework that there's probably 60 countries like that, um, but they've just not said where those are at because they do not um, desire to have Christians there, and they have to go in as a business person or work there and whatnot. And then he is now going to be segueing to campus ministry. So why don't you come up, Jeremy, and, and we'll uh, have what, hear what you have to say. Thank you so much. Okay, I got a green light. Well, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, my family and I are very much interested in the campus ministry. It's called Campus Bible Fellowship, and it's with Baptist Mid-Missions. And when we left our Creative Access Nation, we had a burden to keep serving the Lord. We didn't know when or where or how we could ever get back into the nation we were in. And when we got back, we had this overwhelming burden, Lord, use us wherever we are. We don't want to just sit and wait. We want to be used by you however and wherever you want us to be used. And so when we got back, um, it was kind of a, a really rough time. We came back and we got plopped into America amid all the COVID restrictions and is like, everyone's like, yay, glad you're back, but we wouldn't want to talk to you. And so that kind of hurt, you know, we were like starving for fellowship in our own country, in our own language, and, and yet we were kind of like at this barrier, and so that was kind of rough. Um, but through it all, we saw God purposely moving us. And that's, that's really neat. When you step back and you say, Lord, use us, and you let God direct you, and you can see him step by step bring you where you're supposed to be. And so now we are in Kansas City, Kansas, and our burden is to reach international students. Kansas City, Kansas is a very international city. You don't think of the Midwest as having a lot of internationals, but it is. Um, the medical and the technology centers there in Kansas City draw a lot of people from China, India, Africa. And so you have all these Asian groups and some African groups there. There's also a lot of refugees that come to Kansas City. So there's this international mix that's established. Sorry, I'm not used to having one right by my mouth. Um, and then you have all the international students coming in for research, for um, classes, whether it's undergrad or graduate or doctorate. And so you get this very international feel. And people were asking us, would you be willing to start a campus Bible fellowship? One of the things we found out was that about 12 years ago, um, a group of churches had actually asked Baptist Midmissions to start a campus Bible fellowship, and they didn't have anyone to come. And so when we contacted our home office and said, hey, this is what people are asking us to do, they were like, yes, go for it. So with the permission of our sending church and with our home office's blessing, that's what we started to pursue. 
So at this time, I'll let our video do our presentation, and then we'll open up God's words. With so many unreached people groups around the world, some people question, why would we go across town to a university within our own country's borders? Shouldn't our resources be focused on reaching the unreached, some argue? There are more than 130 million college students worldwide who will become the next generation of leaders, lawmakers, influencers, and educators of the nations. More than 20 million of those students attend universities here in the United States. Many of them travel from all over the world to attend our universities, which will shape their thinking as they pursue a degree. Whether a commuter student or dorm student, students spend large portions of their day in colleges and universities where morals, values, and worldviews are taught, usually without God in mind. Consider people like Benjamin Netanyahu and Salim Fayyid. These men are just two of the many world leaders who have attended American universities. Imagine the potential impact if these men and others like them had been reached with the gospel during their college years. Today, we still have the freedom to take the gospel to this desperate mission field, places where students often come with a misunderstanding of who God is, have never heard the name of Jesus outside of cursing in American movies, or claim to follow him, but have never been grounded in the truths of God's word. We are taking the gospel to these students through Campus Bible Fellowship, the university ministry of Baptist Mid-Missions. When recognized as a student organization on a university campus, we have the freedom to walk the campus, meet the students, answer questions, give away tracts and literature, and hold Bible studies. Our weekly group Bible study on campus will be open to students, staff, and faculty, regardless of their faith. Here they can learn about God and dig into the scripture, ask questions, and meet other Christians. Some students request personal Bible studies. This provides a time for them to study God's word individually, to carefully explore the Bible that they may have been forbidden in their home country, or to learn about God of whom they know little. Whether through group or one-on-one -on -one Bible studies, these opportunities help disciple the students after they have put their faith and trust in Christ as their savior and are invaluable for those who come as young Christians that have never been grounded in their faith. Investing hours in their lives brings about a student who can go back to their home or go out into the world with sound doctrine and a stable understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus, someone who is ready to biblically influence their world for Christ. Campus Bible Fellowship is a bridge that connects the students to the local church. While we minister on campus during the week and bring students to church with us on Sunday, the local church can be intricately involved in campus ministry as well. Church members can help us on campus to give away literature, help prepare special events, bake cookies or make meals for the group Bible study, fill gift bags for newly arriving international students, pick up students for church, express hospitality in their homes, lead Bible studies themselves. The local church aids in the accountability for the local CBF ministry. Most importantly, the church can pray. We are the Clarks, called by God to go to the university students of Kansas City. After serving for a full term in a creative access nation, God called us home in April of 2020. 
During our four years, God used us to reach out to college students, help with two different church plants, see people come to Christ, baptize them, and disciple young believers. Though we sincerely desired to return to our field, God had clearly closed the door. During our time of furlough, God led us to be based out of Kansas City. While in Kansas City, God kept burdening our hearts for the international and national students attending the universities in the Kansas City metro area. God repeatedly has given us opportunities to build bridges with college students, and God has made it clear to us that he has prepared us for this great mission field. Through the encouragement of our sending church, our mission board, and the local church we have been ministering in when not traveling for furlough meetings, God has confirmed that starting a campus Bible fellowship in Kansas City is the new ministry he has called us to. When I came to CBF and I saw the leaders around me, um, it really revealed to me that I was only a fan of Christ. I was only a fan of the gospel and I wasn't really following Christ. And so um, some of the leaders from CBF really showed me what it meant to follow Christ, what it meant to give him your all, what it meant to make him the Lord of your life. There's so much going on and there's just like school and there's classes, there's extracurriculars, there's so much going on. And just being able to make time to sit down in a community with other students who go to the same school and who you'll see in the hallways is so huge for me. And being able to have to just stop in the middle of the week and just have this time with other Christians who are getting the same nourishment from the Word is so great for me. Campus Bible Fellowship really enabled me um, just to see where my heart was. And God was working on my heart and showing me that um, music therapy and occupational therapy, those things weren't what was in my future, um, but that ministry was. and. Campus Bible Fellowship is really the catalyst for that and really where I met the people who encouraged me and that the most and who walked with me through those changes and those processes. Would you labor with us in prayer for the students, professors, and faculty whom God has called us to reach? Whether connecting with students at the literature table, sitting on a bench, or through word of mouth, it becomes obvious that the university is a significant part of the millions across the street that are waiting to hear. Through Campus Bible Fellowship, we can make a difference, one life at a time. Out in the foyer, you'll see our table. Please take a prayer card and any of the literature that you're interested in. Um, Campus Bible Fellowship is a needed ministry. The universities, public universities of the United States, have been a place where Christians have been attacked and shut down. But just in the last year and a half, there's been a new revival of freedom of speech on public university campuses. And a lot of times where the universities have lost lawsuits and it has reawakened a boldness and a, an open door to get on these universities and stand for Christ. And we need to take advantage of this momentum and, and get on these campuses. Um, we are currently having to raise support because of changing fields and losing some supporters because of the change of fields. And then also it's a lot more expensive to live in Kansas City than the country that we were working in. 
Um, so we need to raise support before we can officially start an on-campus ministry like that. Right now we're having a Sunday school that's an international Sunday school, and we have a Wednesday night, and I'm doing some one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with individuals from the universities, and it's been very neat to see people get saved. We had a student from Iran get saved this last, the end of the semester, beginning of the summer, and he is just growing, and it's very neat to see him just have a passion for God. And he, he comes from a Muslim family, but he came to America, and he, he felt that the Islam that he was exposed to was empty, and he wanted the truth. And that's what he kept telling me over and over again, I want to know the truth. And so he gave me like little updates. He's like, well, I'm like 50%, I believe. Well, I'm like 70%, I believe. Well, I'm like 80%, I believe. And then the last Bible study I started, I said, all right, what do you believe? And he's like, 90%. <laughs> and then at the end of the Bible study, I asked him, do you believe this? Is this really true? And he said, yes. 100% I believe that Jesus is the Christ who died for my sins, and he got saved. So we're so excited to see this. This is an open door. It's a ministry. Um, we are currently raising support, and we need to, to finish that to get fully established as a Campus Bible Fellowship, but we are excited to be able to be used by God in the meantime. When it comes to creative access nations or restricted access nations, people have asked me a lot, what was it like to minister in a creative access nation? Um, I have been told by some that it was wrong for me to have gone to a creative access nation because it was illegal to do proselytization in the country I went to. And therefore, I was sinning because I was lying by using a different kind of visa to get into the country. Um, I've been told that I was wrong because I was helping our enemies. I'm, I'm helping them by, by teaching them English and by giving them exposure to American culture so they can better understand us and infiltrate us and, and subvert us. I, I had all sorts of really interesting things get told to me while we were on deputation to go to a creative access nation. And I was very thankful that one time a pastor actually stood up and kind of rebuked the person who said that, that took the burden off of me. That was nice. Um, but I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually prepare a biblical sermon on why and how we can do ministry in creative access nations. And so today that's kind of like what the focus is going to be. So the why is very simple. The why is because we're commanded by God. I'm sure all of you are familiar, but let's turn to it anyway. Let's turn to Matthew 28. We're going to try to be moving pretty fast. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you catch how many times all is in there? Is there any exception to the word all? No. 
It doesn't say all the nations except nations that don't want Christians. It doesn't say all the nations except nations where it's illegal to be a Christian. It literally says all nations. And where God uses a superlative, we should not use an exclusive. That's not right. That's not being biblical. Acts 5, this is reiterated, this idea of how we are to obey. Acts 5, 28 and 29. This is when the high priests are accusing the disciples, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. If the authority is telling you to sin against God, you obey God rather than man. That is a biblical, clear-cut line. We have no higher authority than God. Have you thought about it that the early Christians were the first people to minister in a restricted access nation? The first Christians were ministering in a restricted access nation. They were told, do not preach the name of Jesus. You are only allowed to teach the accepted religion of our country. Sound a little familiar? (laughs) Aren't you glad they chose to obey God rather than man? If they hadn't, we wouldn't be here today. There is not only a clear biblical command, but there is clear biblical precedence that ministry in restricted access nations should happen. Because that's where it all began. So why should we? Because we're commanded by God. But secondly, because we are citizens of the king of kings. And there's a reason I specifically use this word. Look at 1 Timothy 6. Paul is encouraging Timothy to fulfill his responsibility as a young pastor. And when he gets towards the end in 1 Timothy 6, verse 13... He starts giving a very clear challenge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. 
Who is the only true king? Jesus. Do you recognize that every single king, president, ruler, governor, mayor, they are all ruling under the authority of Jesus? So therefore, one day they will give an account to Jesus for how they ruled here on this earth. When you are working at a company, and you have a direct supervisor, and then you have the manager, who has more authority? The manager. So if you're told by the manager to do something, and the supervisor tells you not to do it, you appeal to the fact that the higher authority gave you instructions. And that is exactly how we are supposed to handle things in this life. If a higher authority on earth is telling you you cannot obey God, you respond, but your king, who you answer to one day, has told me to do this, and I must obey. He is the only sovereign, the king of kings. So we are commanded by God, but we are citizens of the king of kings. This is repeated in multiple different places. But let's look at 1 John 5. In 1 John 5, it gives us an encouragement. First John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So not only are we citizens of the King of Kings, we have already been promised the victory. That means we should be going by faith. We should not be going and going, hmm, I wonder if anyone's going to get saved. Hmm, I wonder if we're going to win. Well, I don't know, maybe. No. That is the totally wrong attitude. When we come into this, we should be coming into it with faith, knowing that we have already overcome. He is God. He has commanded us to do this. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has promised us that he has already given us the victory. So we should have every faith and confidence when we are going into these situations that God is going to work. God is going to do something because he has already overcome. Do you know that more people in the Middle East are getting saved now than any other period of history? It's not in the news. It's not very well known. But if you look at it, people are getting saved in the Middle East more now than they have in the past. Because God has already given the victory. 
why is it that when we go out and we share the gospel, we, we hesitate and we have this fear like, oh, it's an adult, they're probably not going to get saved. Boy, if I had gotten to this kid when he was only 10, then man, I know I would have had a chance, but now he's 20 and he's hard-hearted and he's not going to get saved. That is totally the wrong attitude. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't have an age limit. It doesn't have a cultural limit. Why? Because he is sovereign over the whole world. When God sees the world, he does not see government boundaries as limitations to his power. He doesn't look and say, oh, I can't do anything in that country. They don't allow Bibles. Too bad, I lost one. That's not God's attitude at all. Why is it ours? Why is it when we look at it, we say, oh, that's a hard one. We're not going to expect anything out of that missionary. Really? That, that's kind of like giving a defeated attitude of, to give them permission to not see God work. And, and right away, God says, without faith, it is impossible to please me. So you're kind of like already saying you're not going to see God work because you don't have faith. It's a cycle that we let ourselves get trapped in. And it's wrong. So why should we go to a creative access nation? Why should we support missionaries, both nationals and non-nationals, to go into these countries? Because we are commanded by God to go to the whole world. Because we are citizens of the King of Kings and because he has promised us the victory. But now comes into the part that a lot of people question. How? How can you do that? It's like impossible. Well, with God, nothing is impossible. So the question is not should we, but how can we? Well, there are some biblical principles. And honestly, Jesus gave the best principle because he knew his disciples were going to go into a restricted access nation when they started out their so let's look at what Jesus told his disciples. If you go back to Matthew, Matthew 10 this time. You know, Matthew has so much of Jesus preaching and teaching, and obviously it's, it's got a lot about salvation, and it's got a lot about even a lot of prophecy. Jesus gave a lot of prophecy. But there was a lot that he gave his disciples that was going to be very practical and that they were going to need. So if we look at verse, chapter 10, Matthew 10, verse 16. And if this doesn't sound like a creative access nation warning to teachers and preachers in those countries, I don't know what else is. Verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocence as doves. This is the most critical part 
of anyone who's going to have long-time ministry in a restrictive or creative access nation. To be wise as serpents and innocent or harmless as doves. The idea here is to be prepared and to know what you're getting into, to be wise and careful. You know, if you wanted to go to a creative access nation and you just went out on the corner and started passing out tracts and Bibles, you'd be kicked out real fast. Many times within minutes, somebody would report you and you would be out. And you could hop on a plane back to America and say, yay, I got persecuted for Christ and I saw tracks out. Yep. But were you being wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Nope. You weren't. And the likelihood of something happening long-term fruit from that is very, very minimal. But if you are going to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, you can have a longer-lasting result. So how can you do that? One, study the laws of the country to know what is and is not legal. What can you do legally within that country? For example, some countries that are considered creative access nations have a desire to be part of the World Trade Organization and things like that. So in their laws, they actually have certain freedoms of religion. So for example, some of these countries literally say in their constitution that you are allowed to be any religion you want, and you're allowed to pursue any religion you want, you want and you're allowed to have religious materials. So if you know going into that country that that is stated in their constitution, you can use that to your advantage. So when they ask you, are you here as a missionary? And you answer, well, I am here as a Christian, and I will be a Christian wherever I am. Whether I'm in America or whether I'm here, I'm going to live as a Christian, and that's going to define who I am. But I read in your constitution that everyone's allowed to be any religion they want, and they're allowed to have religious materials. So is that a problem? And they'll go, oh, no, 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 yeah, you're right. We're, you're allowed to be a Christian here. Yes, yes, you are allowed to be a Christian here. And it works. <laughs> and when someone comes to you and they start asking you things, you are allowed to answer those questions. So how do you do ministry? You ask lots of questions, and you get them to ask you lots of questions. And then you use those questions and answer biblically. Do you have a biblical passage and a biblical principle for everything you do? You should. As a Christian, everything you do should be based off the Bible. Can you give someone an answer on why you do things the way you do in your home? Because that is one of the biggest ways 
to be able to share the gospel in a restricted access nation. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Can you handle God's word in a way to show people why you do what you do? 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready always to give an answer. Are you ready to give an answer every time they ask you why? You should. You should be able to do that. Just as a Christian in your own home, in your own church, that should be how all of us are. Not just our pastor, not just the missionaries. We all should be that way. Can you? If someone asks you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Are you ready to give an answer? Are you ready to share the gospel and tell them what it means? Because that's what all of us should be ready to do. So how be wise as serpents and harmless as doves or innocent as doves? And then understand the wording and understand their laws so that you know what you can and cannot do. Are you allowed to give out religious materials for free? If no, can someone do something and earn it? Sure. Oh no, I didn't give them that Bible. They did a job for me and this was, they asked that this would be what they get as payment. So I didn't give it to them. This was their payment. You can get away with that. Be mindful that you are a guest and avoid criticizing or being negative about the culture or government. This is important. Christians should not be known as complainers. I think all of you with kids have grown up teaching your children the verse, do all things without complaining and arguing. If you don't, they should know that verse very, very well. But that is not just for kids. That is for us as adults, too. And when we're a guest, especially in a creative access nation, there should be no grounds for them to say, well, you are critical of our country. You are sowing seeds of discontent. That should never be known of us in a creative access nation. But most importantly, how can we do this? by living like Christ. And this is where this applies to all of us. So we're going to sit in Matthew chapter 9 for a little while. And I want you to apply this not just to missionaries and creative access nations, but apply this to yourself. Because this is very, very real. This is where all of us should be living. 
What does the word Christian mean? It literally means a little Christ. Do you know that Christians didn't even come up with the name Christian? It says in the Bible in Acts that in Antioch they were called Christians. That means other people saw them and said, hey, these people are living and talking and teaching just like that Christ guy in Jerusalem. And they gave them the term Christian. So if we are Christians, that requires us to live like Christ. Matthew kind of does a big picture and a little picture of Jesus' life multiple different times. And here in Matthew chapter 9, he steps back and he summarizes all of Jesus' ministry before the cross in just these four or five verses. And if we're going to honestly say we are Christians, we are living like Christ, then everything in this passage about Jesus should be something we are applying and living out ourselves. So let's look at what it says about Jesus in just these few verses here. Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the first part of living like Jesus is acting the way he acted. And there's two parts of that. He preached the gospel through his daily communication with everyone. In verse 35, it says he went through all the cities and villages. That means this is what he was if he was in the capital city, Jerusalem, in the religious leader's presence in the temple, or if he was with one woman by a well in a village. What did he always do? He preached the gospel. If we are truly to call ourselves a Christian, we must be sharing the gospel with people. When was the last time you personally opened your mouth and told someone the gospel? Christ did it everywhere he went. Didn't matter where he was, who he was talking to, he shared the gospel. Are we personally developing relationships with unbelievers so that we can share the gospel with them? It's so easy in our culture 
where everything is self-checkout, everything is pay on the phone, you don't have to interact with people, you can literally spend an entire week and not verbally interact with someone until you come to church. Am I right? But is that living like Christ? How many times did he say, we must do this? We must go through this village in Samaria. Or we, we have to go here. Well, logically, no, he wouldn't have had to. He could have bypassed that. He could have taken a boat. He could have, he could have done tons of things and avoided people left and right. But did he? Christ preached the gospel wherever he went. Have you personally built a relationship with someone who is unsaved so that you can share the gospel in a one-on-one -on -one way? When we were in a creative access nation, I could not just go out into a park and stand in the corner and preach. But know what we could do? We could have people into our home. Is your home your castle, or is your home a platform for sharing the gospel? When was the last time you had an unsaved person into your home so that you could build a relationship with them and share the gospel? That is what we had to do. We had people in our home two, three times a week easily. And I'm not just talking to do Bible studies. I'm saying just to have people over for a meal, just to do something with people so that we could build that relationship and be ready to give an answer and to ask questions so that we could share the gospel on purpose. Do you as a family pray with your kids and your, your spouse about people that you know that are unsaved. In other cultures, we could use our holidays very easily. Having people in on Christmas was huge. We always did that. We would go through the Christmas story and we would sing Christmas songs and literally just use the Bible to tell the true Christmas story because all they knew about was Santa Claus. Can you still do something like that here? Sure. But besides preaching, what else did he do? He was a practical help to other people. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, that means he was doing two things everywhere he went, and what? Healing every disease and every affliction. That means not only did he share the gospel with people, he was a practical help to people. Do people know that you care about them? Is it backed up? Are your words and your actions saying the same thing? You know, helping your neighbors out 
Do you know them? Are you willing to help them out? And if, do they know you're willing? When, before we went to our Creative Access Nation, our neighbor across the street knew us really well. And one day he saw me outside and he just caught my attention. He said, Jeremy, come on over. So I went on over and he said, could you pray for us? My dad just passed away and we're just really hurting right now. Why did he feel comfortable doing that with me even though he was unsaved? Because we had talked to him. We had taken over Christmas cookies. We had had their kids, their grandkids come over and play with our, our kids and vice versa. They knew we cared about them as a person. Not just a number on the street. We came back. We had an opportunity to spend time with the neighborhood kids, and they weren't afraid of COVID. They were outside playing, and our kids were like chomping at the bit to get outside. And so we told them, sure, go ahead. And, but you have to tell them where you were, and you have to ask them for permission to play with them. So they did. They just went outside and said, hey, we came back, and blah, 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 and we want to play with you guys. And they're like, really? And so that, that just like opened up the door and they were like, awesome, this is cool. You guys have been in weird places and, and done these things. And so they got to spend time with our kids and we purposefully had them over. And we did hot dogs with them and we did games with them and they came over and spent a lot of time with our, our kids and we just shared the gospel with them one-on-one. -on -one. And then they ended up going to the teen youth group and one of them got saved. Because we had taken the time to show them that we cared about them. And shared the gospel with them. The last thing he did was he gave them a command to pray. Now, I know a lot of people have used this to pray for missions, but in context, this is not a missions passage. It says, he looked on the crowd and had compassion on them and then told his disciples to what? Pray. He didn't say, look out into the world and pray for the world. In this context, this is way before the Great Commission. We started in Matthew 28. Where are we right now? Matthew 10. Are we anywhere near the Great Commission yet? No. So in a real way, what is this supposed to be applied to? Us. A local people a local church. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When was the last time you actually took time to pray for your church to have more people going out and sharing the gospel in Ames? because that is a real, practical 
real-life application of this verse. And again, I started with this idea that we have this defeated attitude many times. And instead of having a defeated attitude, we should have the same attitude Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The problem is not enough laborers. So I ask you, are you a Christian? Have you come to the point where you understand the gospel, that you are a sinner, that you deserve God's just and holy punishment in hell forever? But because God loved you so much, he sent his only son to die and be buried and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven if we would simply put our faith and trust in him. Have you believed the gospel yourself? If you have, are you being a Christian? doesn't matter if you're in a creative access nation or if you're in the United States. Are you being a Christian? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have commanded us to go into all the world to make disciples. Lord, you have not put boundaries on that. You have not put limits on that. But what you have given is a command. And the command to pray is like the forgotten command you have given. We know the command to go, but how often do we stop and remember the command to pray? So Lord, I just ask that you would work here in Ames, that you use this church to be a place where labors go forth into this harvest field with faith, believing that the harvest is plentiful, believing that you are the king of kings, believing that we have overcome the world that we just need by faith to act upon it. So we thank you and we praise you for opportunities around the world. We ask for your help with the opportunities right here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.